We uh, come to the book of 1 John in our series, and 1 John is an interesting book. Uh, John is writing at a time, and you, can, you get a very brief statement on that. John's writing at a time when something called Gnosticism is beginning to creep in. And Gnosticism, in its root idea, carries the idea of knowledge and people claiming to have knowledge. And in that, there was something called a dualism that broke down uh, in there. They viewed, they viewed the world in this way. Matter is evil. Spirit is good. And that matter side of things, being evil, went two different directions because they're embracing that they're spirit and they want to live in the spirit thing. So they, it, it brought them two places. One was an asceticism that developed. Asceticism is when you live very strictly and you deny bodily needs and, and it's, a very, it's a very limited, austere lifestyle. And that's how some went, because they're trying to stay away from the evil of matter. Others said, you know what, we're about spirit here, so what happens with our matter, what happens doesn't matter. And so we can go ahead and live whatever life we want, because that's not really who we are. We are the spirit. That's who we are. That's who our real identity is. So they're off in some godless, licentious direction in that way. So it could go either way. John is seeing this creeping into the church, and he's going to be addressing the believers and say, hey, there's some stuff starting to seep in here. We need to understand how to distinguish between that which is deceptive and that which is true. And one of the characteristics of John's, of John's, uh, of John's letter is that repeatedly throughout it, he's making statements to help define this is truth, this is deception. This is truth. This is deception. Okay. He's a, a real Pastor Evan type of guy. Pastor Evan likes to be very clear on the use of words and terminology and defining things well. And that's what he does. What I'd like to recommend, if you've never done this, here's a, this book would be perfect for this. You could spend the rest of this month in the book of 1 John. Let me tell you how to do it. For the first week, from now until the 21st or so, Go ahead and read the book once a day in its entirety. Sit down and read it. You can read it, and it's a short period of time. So by the end of the week, you've read it seven times. Then you got a little familiarity with it, and that's always how you start studying a book. You read the thing in its entirety as often as you can. Now that you've got a little familiarity with it, the next week you go back and start looking for all these places where you see John defining things clearly. This is truth, this is deception. This is truth, this is deception. And you will see they are all over the place. In order to give you a sense as to how he's written his book, I've called out ten statements. Not going to show up anywhere, but I want you just to get a sense as to here is how he's, what he's writing. Because he sees people, you know, with these two different types of, two different worldviews that, that they've got to wrestle with trying to understand them. Chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Can you see that black and white statement? That's how he writes, defines things very clearly. 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Chapter 2, verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. 
Chapter 222, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. These things, chapter 2, verse 26, I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And that's more of a motivational thing, but I want you to see that. This is what he's going with. There's a deception out there, and I want you to understand what truth is as opposed to deception. Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Three, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And then chapter 3, verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. The entire book is written with statements like this. Can you see that, that very clear distinction? Let me define for you truth. Let me define for you deception. Now walk in the truth. So that's a huge emphasis that he has in writing his epistle. But, as with the other writers, the goal is not head knowledge. The goal is not simply to say, hey, we know these things. And so now we have knowledge that's in opposition to the knowledge that the Gnostics claim to hand, so we're good. The goal, as you, and this has been something that has just come uh, fresh to me in doing this series by reading through these so quickly, and that is how all of the writers are calling us to holiness. They're all calling us to a life different because of what God has done and how he has invaded our lives with his grace and with the gospel and what it is he is seeking to accomplish. And... Also throughout his book, you will see calls to this. Chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to focus now on the couple of verses that we have for this morning. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Again, very clear, defining statements. And he says in the first of those two verses, effectively what he's saying is believers are to be aware of where their affections lie. What is it that truly draws our, our, uh, or connects with our desires, that truly draws us, that truly energizes us? What are those things where we go, I'm really liking that? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if you do, he makes a simple distinction between kingdoms. You got the world, which I refer to as the dark kingdom, and you've got the Father, who I would refer to as the light kingdom, the kingdom of light. Okay, And they're there, and they're real, and both are real. And he says you can't love one, and the other isn't happening. If, you're, if the world is appealing to you, and the world is satisfying the things that you desire, and the world is telling you how to live, and you're saying, hey, I'm going this direction, do not claim, and I'm doing it, but I'm loving God too. He's saying, nope, it's not happening. You can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. 
So a simple statement about two different kingdoms and a simple statement about two different affections. He says, be aware, believers are to be aware of where their affections lie. What is energizing you? That's the first thing that he says. Then in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He then goes on to say in that verse, believers are to be wary of where their affections begin. Know what the source is behind these things that are drawing you. Understand that not only are there two different systems, the kingdom of darkness opposed to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the evil one is opposed to the kingdom of the Father, but understand what it is they are teaching and how they're drawing you. Because you see, all that is in the world. Now, he defines what the world is like. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's a, there's a common theme to all of that. There's a common theme to this world system, and that is, it's all about me. The lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of my life. My life is about me. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? And it also sounds very much what the world tells us. Does it not? The world tells us, and we hear that, that, hey, you go do what you want to do, and it's your truth and your life, and the things that matter to you are the only things that matter. Now, if we are embracing an understanding of a biblical world view, we realize that's not what we're called to live, that it's about me and satisfying my needs. Now it's about me living for the kingdom, understanding that I have a heavenly father who wants to be engaged in my life and use my life for eternal ends. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to grab this verse is because I just wanted to make a connection. For some of you, you've already gone there, but if you haven't, let's just put it in front of us. Can we do that, please? Remember way back in the garden, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You recall God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The serpent came along and said, you're not going to die. But God knows, in the day you eat thereof, you shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. Hey, it's not about following God. You follow what you want so you can become a god, so you can be elevated, so you can be some, become something special, something incredible. It's about you and your needs. He's just trying to keep you from it. Remember that? And then you remember what Genesis says? It's written this way. So when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Do you see the connection? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it's going to make her feel good to eat it. And the lust of the eyes, that it was pleasant 
to the eyes. Boy, that's attractive fruit. I'd like to have that. And the pride of life, Genesis says, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Look what I'll become if I eat of this. She took its fruit and ate. You get the point? His tactics haven't changed. What, what John is pointing out, he's saying, look, the evil one's always coming at us with this same lie from the garden. He's still preaching the same lie. One, it's about you. And then let me put these things in front of you. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Let me put them in front of you and you just see and think and contemplate how much pursuing those things is going to lift up your life and exalt you to become something better, somebody important, something good. And John says that's not what we live for. We live for the Father who is calling us to a life of holiness, a life distinct from the life of the world. He's calling us to live for some other purpose, that is, eternal purposes, as we will see in a minute. Had a privilege a couple weeks ago. I went to see Bev. I just sensed God saying, before you go on vacation, you've got to go see Bev Lindstrom. And I could have easily thought, well, no, it's, I'll just see her when I come back. I'll have more time. It was like, nope, you need to go see Bev now. And it is as things unfolded there, it became clear why he was prompting me to go see Bev now. So I went to see Bev on a Friday. While there, uh, I didn't know. I thought I was going to go see her in the, in the care facility she was in. They'd moved her to the hospital. I didn't know that. Eventually, we got through the, the hoops and figured out where she was at in the hospital. I got there, and Cal was there. Come on up, Cal. Cal is Bev's son, and uh, he is in ministry in a covenant church there in the Fargo area. And Cal told me just an absolutely fascinating story, buddy. So we're going to bring you right up here. If you want to say anything about your mom, say that first, okay, whatever. But then I want you to tell that story that you told me. And I'm just going to sit down. Is that all right? Because I want to hear it. Well, those of you who watch the clock this morning, you have two pastors and a missionary that have been here today. So it ain't happening. <laughs> If you come to the funeral for my mom on Tuesday, you will see a statement in the bulletin. It says that she, I think she originated it. It's a Yogi, Yogi Berra type statement. Live while you're living. And I would maybe put in there, live for God while you're living. And it starts, I remember my mom, she was very musical. If you come to the funeral, we're going to have nine songs, so it's not going to be your typical funeral. But as Janae was up here this morning singing, my mom would push me up front and make me sing like that. And then as I heard the worship team, that's awesome. And Crystal, that's one of my favorite songs. And Natalie Grant has nothing on you. What a nice voice. But living while you're living, living for God while you're living, part of that is listening. On June 14th, when... God told Gary, you need to go and see Bev. And he obeyed. He did that. Even though there's maybe other things you could do. He did it. He listened. As you go through life, I have, you know, it's your everyday life that in your going, make disciples. I go out to eat too many times. Um... But I had one restaurant that I go to, there's a waitress there, and over the last couple, three years, I've developed a relationship with her to where I can ask her, why do you think people don't go to church? 
She goes, well, I'm Catholic, so I've been feeling guilty about that for a long time. But then, in just having conversations like that with her, and one day I noticed that when she, when I came into the restaurant, she was guarding this side of her mouth. And it's hard to ask a, a woman, what's wrong? Why are you doing that? But uh, the, then I, a couple weeks later, I, was, I went to the dentist in the morning, and I went back to that restaurant. And as I was sitting there eating my meal, God said, she's got dental work she needs to do, and you need to help her pay for that. And so after the meal, I went up to, she was at the, her waitress station, and I, I didn't know how to bring up the t- conversation, but I said, you know, this morning I was at the dentist. And she goes, you know what? I have to go to the dentist tomorrow. I have like $6,000, $8,000 worth of work I have to do to my mouth. I have to have implants. I have to have all this stuff done. And I said, well, I was sitting over there, and I said, we've been talking enough. You know I'm a pastor, and I'm kind of a weird pastor maybe, but God told me I'm supposed to help you pay for that. And she said, I don't even know what to say about that. And I said, well, I'll come back on Friday after you've been to the dentist and I'll see what's what's what. So I came back on Friday and she was, we had our usual conversations and then after the meal I was going to talk to her about it and see what it was going to cost. And after the meal she was nowhere to be found. And then I remembered that they have a, a smoke break place outside, so I got in my pickup, went around to the side, and she's there, and I rolled down my window. Now she has to come and talk to me. And I, and I said, um, how much is it going to cost? She said, six, $8,000. I said, you know, I told you God wants me to help you pay for that. She goes, I don't know what to say about that. And I said, and I said this. I said, this is God loving you through me. And when I said those words, she just broke down and she cried. And I thought, there's a lot of people that don't believe God loves them anymore. And we need to communicate that. On that Sunday morning, I got to the end of the service. Didn't have it in my notes, and I just thought, you know, I need to share this story. So I shared what I just shared with you. And I ended it with, if anybody wants to help, you come talk to me. Right after the service, Jerry, my good friend who's a golfer, loves golf, I've been talking for six months that he's finally going to get custom golf clubs because that's going to be the trick. That's going to be the deal to get my golf game to where it's supposed to be. He comes to me after the service and he goes, I want to give you some money toward that. A couple months ago, I was praying, and you know, I've been saving for this, my custom golf clubs. A couple months ago, God said to me when I was praying, would you give those up for me? And Jerry said, yeah, I would do that. So he said, I'm going to give you the money for that. Which he did. And through some other people that gave, we were able to give that waitress $2,000 toward her um, teeth, getting that redone. Well, we have a deal where in, in the spring of the year in May, we go golfing with a, bunch of, with a group of guys. We had eight that golfed a couple years ago, and we had 12 this year. And we booked at the same place. And part of the deal, when you book at the same place, well, I'm getting out of myself. First, I had to go back, and I said, Jerry, I know that you don't like you know, any notoriety or anything to, about this gift that you gave, but I need you to share it with the, conversa- with the congregation. And, he, and I was ready to give my best sales pitch. And he goes, yep, I'll do it. I'm like, what? This is Jerry? And so the next Sunday, I get Jerry up there, and, and he said, 
Cal, you don't know this, but God told me that I was supposed to share this to the congregation. That's why I said yes when you asked. He said, the other thing you don't know is that when you shared that story about the waitress, I was four days away from being measured for my custom golf clubs. And then we're doing this, this uh, trip, and we find out that the guy's the trip, because we booked a year in advance, that we were entered into a contest. And the leader of the golf group was, was told that we won something. And he's, and he's like, well, you get these things over the internet all the time, right? You don't even want to respond to them. So we didn't. But we get to this golf trip then, we get to the place, and, and, and the leader that was organizing went into the golf um, pro shop, and, and he said, he asked together, he said, we got some notice about we won something. And the guy said, yeah. Yeah, you guys won $1,000 in the pro shop. Now, the gift that Jerry had given me was $1,000. And you know what? Jerry's getting his custom golf clubs at the pro shop. So long before, you see how God works? And he just wants us to live while we're living. To live for him while we're living. Now, it doesn't work like that every time. But in this case, it did. And Jerry got his golf clubs. And we're hoping that we even get more money to give to this waitress for her teeth. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. The writer, or, or John, in his epistle, after telling us believers are to be aware of where their affections lie, believers are to be wary of where their affections begin, whose is coming from, he then says in the 17th verse, which is not part of our memory verse, believers are to know where their affections end, because he finishes these thoughts with this, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And he finishes these thoughts with this idea of there's an eternal perspective with which we live. And you, you get the connection, don't you? Here's a guy, loves to golf. Nothing wrong with liking to golf. Nothing wrong with loving to golf. It's a great pastime. Saving for his clubs. And God taps him on the shoulder and says, now, would you give him up for me as he is in prayer? That's the distinction between living for the world and living for the kingdom. You see, because he's like, yeah, Lord, I love you more than I'm going to love these clubs. They're just golf clubs. And he made an eternal decision and let the clubs go. Now, as Cal said, it doesn't always happen. That's going to come in behind. But at that point, it doesn't matter. Because the right decision is made. And so, John exhorts us, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You know, friends, this is the daily, this is the daily decisions that we're making. The daily decision of either, hey, I'm going to live for myself. I've saved up all this time, $1,000. I'm four days away from getting fitted for those clubs. I'm not about to give that up. Or... Lord, if that's what you're asking, it's all about you. It's not about me being in the center. It's not about my stuff. And the word calls us to die to self. And that's why it's hard, because the world calls us, right? Did you catch the difference? The word calls us to die to self. Let God call the shots on our life. The world, the dark kingdom, calls us to live for self. Keep ourselves in the forefront. Make sure we get what we want to do. Now, sometimes it may be something big. It might be something big, like all that money you saved for golf clubs, handing it over for the sake of some woman you don't know who needs her teeth fixed. Hmm. It might be something less significant than that. It may very well be, just because it's a living example for us, it may very well be that God's saying, your name belongs on the list to help at the Five Cent Family Fun Fair. Yeah, but Lord, I, on that day, here's what I like to do on that day, and God's going to say, um, your name belongs on the list because we need to have a presence here for the kingdom as part of this event happening, and your name belongs on the list. Will you give up whatever those three hours of plans you had for that day in order that we can minister to people and have a presence Sometimes it's just that simple, friends. The question I think that we need to wrestle with is, is simply this. Are we willing to at least let God weigh in on these decisions? Right? Oh, five cent family fun fair. No, I don't do that. Well, hang on a second. Would we take a few minutes in prayer and say, Lord, would you have me to do that? Would you have me there, Lord? Rather, no, I don't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? could be so quick to pass things off. And I'm suggesting as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, learning more and more to allow God in to say, hey, God, what would you have me to do here? And how would you have me to live? So, based on all of that, here's that final exhortation. The world's passing away, the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Jerry could have gotten his clubs, and it would have ended with getting clubs and he'd have died, and the cubs would have, clubs would have rested and all, rusted and all of that, and, they'd have, and that was the end of the story. But Jerry said, yeah, Lord, I'll give you these clubs. And you know what? That story is marked in history or in heaven and will be retold, I believe, over and over and over again to the glory of God about how God ministered at this point when somebody who um, uh, needed something he heard, the, he heard the voice of God and responded. You see, one is when the, we're told that things will be judged by fire. One is, hey, he could have kept the clubs, and guess what? When it was tested by fire, wood, haste, double, poof, it's gone. But I believe when Jerry's works are tested by fire, it's going to go, and it's going to come out refined, silver and gold and precious stones. And it's going to be identified with some golf clubs. 
because he made an eternal decision. Friends, every day we're making eternal decisions. Every day we're deciding which kingdom are we following. Where are our affections being drawn from? Who's behind these affections? Who's, who's, who's at the center of my decisions? Is it me or is it the Father? Every day. May God give us the strength, the wisdom, the understanding to make decisions that matter that when eternity reflects on them, eternity will say, that was a good decision. Father, thank you for the joy of this morning. What a privilege, Lord, to be reconnected with these precious people. And I just thank you for each one who is here. And Father, we ask that you might send us with serious thoughts about how is it you're working in our lives and how is it you're asking us to die to ourselves, to let you call these shots so that um, we might really see life unfolding, incredible things that you can do because we've yielded ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you now, in Jesus' name, amen.